Wow. I wasn't ready this morning for the emotion that would hit me in the last hour because of what you did just over seven years ago. Even standing on this stage looking at you. By the way, I like you. I wanted to look around. Dr. McWhite was turning around looking at people. I was like, can I do that? I just want to see who's all here. I was like, I know them. I I miss you. I I like you. I love you. And it is such an honor and a joy and a privilege to be here uh, with you today. But the emotion that's sort of like running, not sort of like fully running inside of my heart is because of you. Before I left Greenville, South Carolina, and moved to Massachusetts, I didn't really connect with those parts of the scripture when the Apostle Paul, you know, wrote and and said um, and showed this extreme, extreme gratitude. But like I slow down, you know, those introductions in those letters in the New Testament and then like the closings, like I really, really slow down and go, that's Taylor's First Baptist Church. And in, in an incredible way, I just want to say thank you. And you know those moments when you say thank you is not enough? This is like 10x. Thank you is not enough. Thank you will never be enough. But we are Encounter Church, the ministry of Encounter Church, the Hodges family, the Causey family, and so many more are where we are today because of you. And Jeremy, I thought during your prayer, I thought, man, just your prayer at the beginning of the service was church for me. Right, just the Holy Spirit being being called out, and I just thought I was even, yeah. Even though your prayer was a blessing, I stopped listening to you for a moment, and I started thinking about your story, Jeremy and Cindy, and your and your family, like the sovereign hand of God and how He sent you, and then He sent you back. You know why? He sent you back because you would be right here sending more. So thank you. Like today. That's a short prayer, but it deserves to be a, I mean, a short clap, but that deserves to be a long one. So thank you. That sending that you're doing today is the same thing that God is going to do in these next few moments, in this next hour. That's how long Jeremy told me I could preach. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I looked down at my clock. I was like, that's, that's not good. I should just take off, take this watch off for just a moment. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I wrote down this earlier this week and these three thank yous that are just not enough. The three things that we asked you to do many years ago, you did. And the first of those would be that you would pray. And I have received some of the most kind, gentle, I mean, text, phone calls, emails, even those of you that flew, you know, a thousand miles to come just pray with us. And it has been a tremendous blessing to know that we're standing on the foundation of your prayers. So thank you. That's been very, very, very tangible to me. It's been very tangible to my wife. It's been very tangible even to my kids. As I read an email that I received from Dee Hopkins that she sent to me just a few weeks ago, I was like, man, the Lord is speaking through D. If you know D, the Lord's always speaking, and he's always speaking through D. And I read it to my sons. I'm like, and I read it you know, to Josiah, and he's like, um, does she know me? <laughs> I was like, no, but the Lord does. 
Like the prayers are real, the prayers are tangible, so thank you. We ask you to give, and you've given graciously. You've given generously, and so thank you. From the support that Taylor's gives directly to our ministry, to the support that you've given directly to ministries of Encounter Church that we have done, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we ask you to go. I had no idea, standing on this stage, how many people would go. And Lauren, I thought about you this morning. There were five families that joined the Kazis and the Hodges, and I'm forever grateful. When you walked in this morning, Lauren, Oliver, Stetson, Georgia Grace, I thought, man, the Lord spoke to the Roland household like he's going to speak to your household today. The Lord spoke to me, and the Lord spoke to Lauren, and the Lord spoke to so many more. And he's going to send, and you sent. Not only did you send physically, tangibly, and, and by, by some families even moving and going uh, to Boston and making that their home, but you've come on mission, and so I thank you. I'm so, so very grateful that you have answered those prayers. And today, they just continue. You've answered the call, and you're going to have even another opportunity in just a few moments to answer again and to say yes all over again to being sent and that doesn't, it doesn't mean that you have to change your zip code, though many parts of the world would welcome it. It doesn't mean that you have to change jobs and locations, though you have an opportunity to. But it does mean that if you say yes, your seat will change. I love the mission of Christianity, but there's a problem in the mission. The problem in the, mis the mission of Christianity, and I can't assume, should not assume, when I get to speak in, in Boston at Encounter Church or when I speak here, I don't want to assume that everyone in the room understands the same things about Christianity. So I want to explain it to you. Jesus Christ entered the world just more than 2,000 years ago, and he was on mission. And his mission was to save the world. Now, there are a lot of disagreements on my street, right? It doesn't matter if politics come up or faith comes up or what's going on, or what, what the town is voting on. You, all you have to do is make one click on Facebook. Jeremy, that was good, man. Post, you post on Facebook and you, you tweet on Twitter. That was good. You, you know what you're talking about. Even though you felt like you didn't, you didn't. You just make one click and you see the disparity of the culture that we live in. And you feel the tension. Here's something we, we can all agree on. The world is broken. And because the world is broken, Jesus sent, Jesus was sent by the Father to set things right. And he offered the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. So our mission is to tell all people everywhere that God loves them and that God has a plan for their life. That's our mission. That's our foundation. That's why this theme of reaching is because there are people that are unreached. One of my favorite scriptures I hear, by the way, just behind Encounter Church, there's a railroad. I just want you to know that. <laughs> and every time I hear that railroad, I'm like, huh, that's funny. I just remember that, okay? Don't get me off topic, but here we go. I just hear the railroad. If you didn't hear the railroad, there's a railroad behind Taylor's, okay? And there is at Encounter Church as well. The mission is to tell all people. One of my favorite scriptures, Matthew 24. And I just remember, especially when people start talking about the end times. You know, Paul thought Jesus was going to come back too during his day, or so we believe from what he wrote. And so for 2,000 years, we've been thinking about Jesus' return. And I've heard it in 2020 just as much as I've heard it in any other year. Well, there's, a, there's something to be done before that happens. Matthew 24, 14 says, the gospel will be preached 
in all of the world, and then the end will come. So there's some time yet to be had, okay? In fact, one of the disagreements I had with a guy in my neighborhood that didn't have faith, and he was reading about Jesus, reading about Christianity, so this was probably almost 10 years ago, a conversation, and he believed he knew who the Antichrist was, and we talked about what the gospel was, and I started t- telling him about Jesus. I'm like, you know, there's a lot of people that have never heard this news, so we, we got a ways to go. I don't know what a ways is. I don't know if that's three months, six months, only the Lord knows, but like the good news, that's, this is our mission. The good news has to be proclaimed in Southeast Asia. The good news has to be proclaimed in Dedham, Massachusetts. 30,000 people that live in the town where Rachel and I live. And there's two churches that preach the gospel. One has about 60 in it and one has about 70. We got a long ways to go. We got a long ways to go. And I know that's true of Greenville. I know that's true of Greer, right? Your neighbors don't know, right? The person across the street does not know yet, right? The person that you, the coffee shop that you go to, the gym that you go to, they don't know. And so there's work to be done. Okay, back to the problem. We have a sociological problem. And I want you to see if this connects with you. There are people you don't like. One person laughed, okay? Listen, you don't have to laugh, but this is true. There are are people that we don't like. Raise your hand, okay? Here's a sociological functional problem. You have to go, you have to reach, but the sociological norm, the pattern of your life is that you only hang out with people that you connect with. You only hang out with people that you like. And so there's this, there's this rub that happens inside of my soul and it's deep inside of my soul. The moment something happens, I'm like, I don't agree with that or I don't believe that. There's this distance that happens. And so Christianity's greatest problem is a sociological pattern of your life that you don't hang out with and that I don't hang out with people that aren't like us. And the fact that we, we read something that we don't agree with or we, we see something either on social media or something that we read in the, in, in, the, in the newspaper, if you still do that, I know people still read the newspaper, right? And Or if you check it online or have a conversation in your cul-de-sac, there's this distance between Christians and the world. There's this distance. And I want to tell you something that's happened deep down inside of my soul. Like the distance is breaking inside of me. And one of my greatest prayers for you, and it doesn't mean that you have this problem. I just know humans have this problem. That the distance between you and those that aren't like you would close. That the gap would close. And that your life on mission, because you can't reach and you can't be on mission unless you actually pursue those that are very different than you. You actually pursue those and become friends with people that do not have the same political beliefs as you. And that you listen and that you love. And so Jesus set us on mission, but he also told us what we were to do. And two of the greatest commandments, the first one says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And the second is like it, similar to it, almost like the same, arm in arm, shoulder in shoulder, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. I see a lot of hatred. I see a lot of frustration. I see a lot of despairing beliefs and in, 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 um, dysfunction, not only in the family, but I'm talking about between like Christians and the world. And my greatest prayer for you, church, today is that something would happen inside of your heart and your mind and your soul and that you would say, God, I want to live that out. I really, really, really want to love my neighbor. You know, the ones who, who hate me because of what I believe. 
I still have neighbors to this day who do not talk to me because they know what I do for a living. And you know what? It's been about, you know, six and a half years of labor and it's going to be, it might take about 30 more, right? But that's our mission. Our mission is to reach those who do not know. But there's, remember this sociological part. The pattern of your life is against that. The pattern of your life is against you reaching. It is against you reaching. Part of that, give you a little bit of grace, it's normal, right? You walk into a room, you gravitate towards those that are like you. You walk into a room, you gravitate towards those people that are similar to you, or they know you, or they understand you. I understand. That's just a part of life. As the youth pastor here for many years, I remember parents would say, um, the, the youth group can be cliquish. I'm like, yeah, so can adults, right? <laughs> this is a part of what we do. This is sociological norm, right? Is that your kid doesn't connect with a lot of other kids, but they can connect with somebody. So my hope and my prayer is that they, can, they find a place of connection. So I'm not you know, saying that that's not good because of course we can be isolating, right? It's human pattern and it's human behavior. I'm not saying we don't fight against it, but this is the problem of our, of our mission is that we don't know people that aren't like us. What I love about where I live is that I can't find anybody like me. <laughs> No one said this today, but please don't say this to me, okay? Because one of the things that frustrates me is sometimes when people say, they ask like, hey, are, basically, are you okay up there? You know, they understand that people, you know, are different in New York City. People are, I'm like, yeah, they're my, they're my friends. I don't believe what I believe, but I, I call them my friends, right? Of course I'm okay. But it's, you know, what I, what, what I love, I'm not around Christians except for on Sunday, Right. And for a season that was hard and, and lonely and now it's become the norm. But on mission, that's the place to be. It's the place to be is to be in a, 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 the gym when no one else around you has your faith. And to go to dinner with them. It's the place to be to be in the community and serve at a local event that your church didn't sponsor. I'm just talking, you just showed up, right? Like this is our mission to break the sociological pattern and Christians are good to hang out with, but not all the time, no offense, right? Like it is our mission. The former me was always around Christians and a lack of grace, at least internally towards those that were not like me. The former me certainly could say, I'm, I'm connected to discipleship and advancing that mission, but the two go hand in hand, reaching the lost, reaching those that don't know Jesus. That is our mission. It is your mission. It's not only my mission. It's not MNSB's mission. Had to get the, the um, numbers, or the letters right there, right? It's not just the mission of a missionary. It is your mission, and it's our joy. This is why we exist. This is why God called us, so that all people everywhere might know Jesus. In the last song, the emotion that just came over me was the faces of my friends and my neighbors and my community that have not yet heard. I know the foundation, but there's a lot of people that don't. And people here in Taylor's, Greer, the upstate, the same thing. Hey, the world's coming to you, right? I remember even in Greer, listening to my neighbors, and they're from Jersey, upstate New York, right? Uh, Massachusetts. Um, my friend is a, phys a physical therapist in Aiken, and 
walked into a home and said, where are you from? You, you sound like you're from the Boston area. And my friend in Aiken said, yeah, I just moved here from Dedham, Massachusetts. I'm like, oh, that's my community. The world's moving. There's plenty of people everywhere that don't know that you, the hope that you have and the purpose that you have and the God that you know, they don't know yet. So we have to break the pattern and you can. Question for all of us to reflect and think on. I like to facilitate and ask questions. And so if this were like a Bible study, I would ask this question. What do you think God's thinking about today? What do you think he's thinking about? Right? I think there are probably some, some answers that everyone would say, yeah, 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 that's probably right. I mean, he's probably listening to prayers, right? This is okay, yes, that's the truth. What else, what else do you think God's thinking about? What is God doing? And as I reflected on that question, one of the things that um, always come back to my mind is one of my favorite scriptures that actually tells us what God's doing. We can make a long list. We can back it all up with truth. We can read through the prophets, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, Jesus himself, right? And we could read the, the prophetic um, statements that where God spoke to people directly. And we know exactly sort of what God's doing. Like we know some of the things that he's up to. One of the things that blew my mind is this scripture that I want to read to you today. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It answers one of the questions about what God is actually doing. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, and it will be on the screen. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. Now, there's kind of two feelings in this. The last one, you've done a foolish thing, and now you will be at war. This was spoken to a king. His name is King Asa. King Asa knew what it was like to turn to the Lord, because in his time of trouble, that's exactly what he did. I remember a pastor I used to work for, Mark Reiser, before I came to Taylor's, he said, hey, hospital ministry is an incredible ministry. You know why? Everyone's looking up when they're on their back. And he would always say that, right? It's a great opportunity to connect, to minister when people are hurting. And that's one of the objectives of Christianity, 100%, is to bring hope for those that are hurting. He would always say when people are on their back, they're looking up. King Asa hit a wall. King Asa had a need. King Asa was in trouble. So he turned to God. God listened to him. God gave him favor. God showed up in his life, gave him peace and protection. For years and years, King Asa led the nation under peace and prosperity. There's also a dangerous thing when we're not in need, when we're not in the hospital, right? When we have everything we need. A New England thing to say is, you know, when you're asking about someone and they're like, no, I'm all set. I'm all set. I'm all set. You know, you know, when they get their coffee, do you need anything else? No, I'm all set right? You start talking about faith, you start talking about church, now I'm all set, I'm good, I'm all set, right? When we are all set, when things are good in our life, we have no need. Well, King Asa got to the all set, you know, spot because he had money, he had power, he had fame, he had recognition, and he stopped turning to God. So what happened eventually, when the enemies came back, God sent him a message. King Asa had made a lot of poor decisions as a leader, and God said, I'll no longer be with you. In the context of his warning, I'll no longer be with you, he also said something of what he's doing. I think this is an incredibly fascinating verse. It says, the Lord, his eyes are roaming throughout the earth. Even another version says he wants to show himself strong. Like God, his eyes, what a beautiful illustration, what a beautiful picture. He's roaming throughout the earth. His spirit is moving, like God is functionally 
functioning and at work among us. And you know what he's doing? He's looking for people to show himself to. Wow. What a powerful verse. God is looking. Now me, I'm like, really? Uh, okay, God, you see me over here? You know, it's like that middle school sport. You know, you're like on the playground. You're like, pick me, pick me, pick me. I mean, this is, if God is looking, right, and you are a person of faith, you're like, really? He's still looking. Oh, yeah, God used me. There's a chance that God's not working in you and through you, right? And there's some things that stop that. We do. Specifically, any thought, action, desire that's not pleasing to God, we call it sin. And when sin's in our life, God's favor is not upon us. And so we learn from this scripture, God is actively looking today, Sunday, October 18th. Is that right? Okay. October 18th, whatever. God is actively looking for people to use. Would you raise your hand to that? Right? I mean, I'm like, okay, 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 God, I hear you. You're actively looking for people that you want to show up to. The next verse I want to read to you is 1 Peter 3, verse 12. Years and years later, Peter, contemporary of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, someone who loved Jesus, someone who gave himself to ministry, right? One of the first pastors as we know it. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 says, The eyes of the Lord are on who? The righteous. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In fact, it sounds like he could be quoting this scripture in 2 Chronicles 16, but it's even more closely tied to Psalm 34 and Psalm 35. More than likely, he knew maybe a Psalm of David or began to read, especially after Jesus, he began to read the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe some of these songs were circulating and he literally quotes from the Hebrew, this song, you know, song that they're singing like in worship. He's like, yeah, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. He changes the last part a little bit, but the face of the Lord, he's against those who do evil. This idea and this notion that God is for you, right? Or, or God is with you or he's not with you. His favor is upon you or his favor is not upon you. And so this idea today, I want you to, to, to go home with this and I hope it absolutely 100% transforms your next step. The eyes of the Lord are searching for people that would say yes. The eyes of the Lord are searching for people who would give. The eyes of the Lord are searching for people that will go. That is one of the things that God's doing. Okay, whiteboard moment. We turn around. This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. How about this one? He's actually today actively, because we believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, this is, he's, God is a part of his mission, yes? He is working his mission. Was it in that book that you quoted earlier where Piper says, um, worship no, no, no. Missions exist because worship doesn't. There's this gap. Jesus, I don't believe, this is Jason, okay? I don't believe he's returning today. There's some work to be done. I don't know when he's returning. That's just Jason's opinion, right? I don't think he's returning today. There's work to be done. Like this, your yes, your reach, your giving, your going, it exists because people have not yet had the opportunity. When people say, do you miss home? I don't always say this back to them, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, this isn't my home. I cherish Taylor's First Baptist. I, even landing, I don't always recognize everything when you're in the airplane, right? But even landing, I'm like, I miss this place. I miss you. I love you. I could give you like the Bible pastor answer and say, our home is in heaven, you know? Yes, okay, my home is in heaven. But you know what? I am like so entrenched in the mission. 
for folks in my community to know Jesus. Like that's where it is for my heart. Because Portsmouth, New Hampshire needs the gospel. Because White River Junction, Vermont needs the gospel. Worcester, Massachusetts, Bristol, Rhode Island, Hartford, Connecticut, New York City, Greer, South Carolina, Taylor, South Carolina, Aiken, South Carolina, Brazil, Southeast Asia. Someone asked me about six months ago, would you ever want to come back to South Carolina? I'm like, if God opened the heavens, I'll do whatever he wants me to do. I love South Carolina. But when you're firmly entrenched in the mission, nothing can move it. I mean nothing. I want you to have that type of foundation for your neighborhood. Nothing's going to move me out of this neighborhood until they have a chance to know him. Part of my grief I'm sitting here and, and is thinking about my neighbors and what I, all the more I could be doing, right? Like that weight, that responsibility that we have. And I'm like, Lord, I know that your eyes are moving throughout the earth. I know that you're searching for hearts that will be fully committed to you. And please, God, pick me. Like God's used me yesterday, but there's a chance he might not use me tomorrow, right? The, the eyes of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord are not with and for those who are not focused and committed on him. Like tomorrow is good, but that's not a, that's not a promise. Like you can be a part of the mission in your workplace. And I hope that something firmly today that, that you find yourself entrenched in the mission of your workplace. I hope that you will find yourself entrenched in the mission of those that are around you from the coffee shop again to where you shop, to who you hang out with. I hope that you find yourself entrenched in the mission. And I hope that these two verses challenge you. If you say, Lord, if you're looking, don't pass over me. Use me, God. Use me today. Use me. If your eyes are looking, God, my hand is raised. And several years ago, standing on this platform, as folks were listening, just like you're listening right now, the Abbott family, who, who lives um, just in Massachusetts and are a part of our mission along with the Rollins that left, the Abbott family, I mean, the day we stood on this stage and we had this type of service years ago, I got an email because on the way home, Zane and Ellen looked at each other with that same story that you just heard where God spoke to them. He said, hey, I feel like we should move. And she said, sounds good. I'm like, what? And when they sent me an email that afternoon, a long email, hey, can we come over for dinner? I'm like, yeah, tell me when. And they sat down and said, we'll go. I'm like, you sure? You want to think about it? I mean, you want an application? You want to pray about it? Like, are you sure? No, no, we're saying yes. Are you, what do you, you don't even know what you're saying yes to. I'm like, where, where are we going to move? I'm like, you just said yes, and you don't even know the town we're talking about, right? They just said yes. And God's going to do that in some of you. And God's already working that in some of you right now. But you don't have to move. You don't have to go anywhere. Well, that's not true. You have to go somewhere. It just might be to your workplace. It might be across the street. When you say yes to God, you say yes to going. It's impossible not to. When you say yes to God, you say yes to going. College students, he has you in that classroom. He has you in that circle because there are people that don't know him. High school students, I don't know what it looks like right now for digital learning or in-presence learning, but I know the world has changed. God has you where you are so that you can be and will be sent. Because there are people that don't know him. No matter where you are, who you are, what you do, if you say yes to God, you say yes to being sent. Finally, I thought about this this week. 
He sent Joseph. Now think about that story, if you know that story. Some of you don't know that story, and I'm cheating even mentioning his name because I don't have time to go into the details of his story, but God had a plan, and it was a tough thing. Listen, Joseph had a tough road, right? And when he, wa- when he was, quote, sent, it wasn't a good sending. It wasn't a good, you know, let's, let's gather you around, Joseph, and pray for you because we, we got this plan. No, 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 God used the pain of where Joseph was. God used the pain, and he brought redemption out of it. He sent Joseph for a plan. He sent Moses, even though God's like, I mean, Moses is like, God, don't you remember my, my speech issue? Don't you remember that I'm not well-spoken? How about you use my brother? God, are you sure this is a powerful dude that you asked me to go to? No, he sent Moses, and it was hard. And I thought about Joseph and Moses this week. I also thought about Esther. I read Esther for the second time the last couple of months. Every time I'm just blown away by this story. He used her. He sent her in front of someone powerful to speak bold words. She should have really been slapped for. She should have been killed for, right? But he sent Esther, and Esther went. He sent Jonah. If you know that story, Jonah didn't like being sent. He's like, no, God, I think you've got another plan. And God said, just watch out, boy. All right? He sent Jeremiah. Even though Jeremiah didn't see much fruit from his ministry, he sent him. He sent Isaiah, right? He sent Paul. He sent Priscilla. He sent John. And I love this one. She doesn't get much credit in the Bible, but she should get a whole lot of credit because of what first century historians wrote about her. He sent Phoebe. Phoebe's mentioned really briefly in the scripture, but there's a first century historian that writes that she was the one that delivered the letter to the Romans. You talk about a job. That letter to Romans, you might like it in your quiet time, but let me tell you who didn't like it. City of Rome. Imagine that woman being sent. She says, I'll take it. I'll take that letter and deliver it to, to, to the Romans. Like he sent her on a mission. And most of all, the father sent Jesus. The father sent Jesus because you needed him. The Father sent Jesus because I needed him. The Father sent Jesus because people on my street need him. The Father sent you because your neighbors need him. The Father sent you because the people that you do life with need him. The Father sent you because the people around you that you don't know their names, that you need to get to know their names, so just by asking, the Father sent you because they need him. And I would ask you and I would beg you to change your seat. Because when you change your seat, you see everything different. What God has done inside of my heart and my life and my wife has been remarkable in the last many years. But oh my goodness, do we have a long, long ways to go. I love the seat where I'm sitting. I love the, 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 the world that I look at. It's very different than my experience seven years ago. But I love the mission and even this year has been one of the toughest times of our lives in many regards, but we're entrenched in the mission, and God's using what M said earlier, right? God uses the pain. I love how he uses the pain to bring redemption. God wants to use you today. God wants to use you right now. God wants to send you. The question is where. That's really the only question after you say yes is where. So these three things that will be on the screen, I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to do, if you're willing to to, to raise your hand, imagine, again, you know, God's moving throughout the earth. You're like, God, right here, right here, God, right here. I'm here, I'll do it. I'll say yes to you. That's you. Here's what I want you to do. The first thing is just to humble yourself. And that really just, just means this. Sit where you are 
and say, God, not what I want, but what you want. I'm a planner. Any planners in the room? Any? I like to know what, what's going on with Monday. I like to maximize every single, my strength finders, the top of the list is woo. More on that, not later, because I won't be with you later. Anyways, look it up if you're curious. Number two is maximizer. Like, I want to maximize time. I want to maximize people. Not knowing the future, the unknown, is quite frustrating to me. So I plan, 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 plan. But when you humble yourself before God, it's, it's really tough, because you're saying, God, I'm before you. Which means to be honest with yourself, confess your struggles, confess your pain, confess your sin to God, humble yourself. Second thing is to, to get ready to change your seat. And that, that might mean changing where you sit in the auditorium, but I don't think that's it, right? Proverbially speaking, right, when you think about changing your seat, if you move from, from this side of the balcony to right over here, you see things different, your experiences are different, You're, the people that you talk to are different. Get ready to change. That could be your job. You know, there's a massive global shakeup happening that we're all fully aware of. 35% of our congregation, here's a way you can pray for us. 35% of our congregation has taken new jobs or transfers. 35%, right? My flesh is worried about that, but like the God in me, I'm not worried about it. God's moving, right? So there's movement happening because of everything that's happening due to COVID-19. And let this be an opportunity for you. God, what do you want? God, where do you want? God, how do you want? What do you, where do you want me to go? And I'm not talking about where your future job is or whether you should go for the foreign mission. I'm just talking about where you go for lunch today and who you talk to today. I'm talking about the, the, the streets that you don't walk on in your neighborhood that you walk on in the hopes that you could just say hi to someone and get to know someone new that needs a friend and that needs you. Get ready to change your seat. And finally, I would say to hand your, your future over to Jesus. Just hand it over. And that's easy to say. Sounds like a churchy thing to say, doesn't it? How do we do that? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I just know it means that you're not in control anymore. When you hand your future over to Jesus, you hold things really lightly. I like to hold things tightly. Anybody? I like to hold things tightly. I like to be in control. Some personalities really like to be in control. Well, you're human. You like to be in control. I just mean to really hand it over to Jesus. I prayed a prayer since I really gave my heart to ministry when I was a junior in college. Went to University of South Carolina, and I was a music major, and I remember going outside the School of Music, saying, I love to play these instruments. I, I love to sing. I wish I was a little bit, you know, better singer, Kevin, but, you know, I, I love, I love music, right? But in that moment, I remember sensing, I saying this, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I will say what you want me to say, if only you'll lead me. My life is not my own. I'm here today, but I'll be gone tomorrow. I hope not tomorrow. Mom and dad, thank you for being here. I hope not literally tomorrow. My mom and dad here are like, I'll be gone tomorrow, right? This is the truth. Your life is short. You want it to count. Like you really, really, really want it to count, don't you? And if it does count, make it keep counting. Like up the ante. One of the things I love, I, I, I love seeing. I love, 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 love seeing someone that's my parents' age or grandparents' age that's still on fire on the mission. I love hearing uh, Keith Cunningham tell me a story of so many of you served yesterday out in the community because they because they want to be on mission. They want to go and serve and go and do. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter your age. It's time to jump on the mission. It's time to say yes. And if you do, humble yourself. Change your seat, one of the hardest parts of that, and just hand over your future to Jesus. If you do that, 
the Lord will show up in your life because he is roaming through the earth. And one of those places he's roaming is right here in this room. And all he wants you to say is yes. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, as we respond and as we look to say yes to you, God, I can't, I'm just one voice, but I can't speak. Like you're speaking in hundreds of ways in this room. There's conviction in this room that doesn't come from a message. It doesn't come from the scripture being read, but only comes from your spirit. So I ask you, God, in this very moment, that your Holy Spirit would speak very, very clearly, very, very specifically about where we work, about where we go, about what we do even for lunch today and who we talk to. I pray that your spirit would speak on our workplace. I pray that your spirit would speak in our school and our friends. I pray that you would speak very clearly and I pray that the prayer that I prayed as a junior in college and prayed again this morning, I'll go where you want me to go I will do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say if only you'll lead me. So for every man, for every woman, for every boy, for every girl that senses inside of them your spirit speaking, would you speak so very clearly and send us. So God, if we say yes to you in this room, may you make what that yes means clear. We ask all of this. In your precious and holy name. It's because of you, Jesus, that we can come to you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.